0: Oh, we've been going through the book of Luke for years now, and today, some of you are going to be so excited. I know I am, because we are jumping into a prophetic end of the world, Jesus is coming back chapter. Let's hear it for that. Woo! Never mind, earthly elections. Jesus is coming, we're jumping into a Jesus coming back chapter, oh, And here's what's so exciting. It's not somebody else talking about it. It's Jesus himself talking about it. In fact, his answer to their question about the end times is his longest answer of any question he was asked while here on this earth. So there's a lot he wants us to know about it. But here's what I want to do. Before we dive in, I want to give you a perspective that I think can clarify some of the confusion that so often takes place when we begin to read passages in the Bible that are focused on the future. And here's why. They do something with the future that we do not do. It's this. The Old Testament prophets, as well as Jesus himself, right here in this chapter, will talk about immediate close at hand events and way out there end of the world stuff all in the same sermon. And they don't use a blinker to signal when they're changing lanes either from close at hand to long range. They just don't, they just weave back and forth. You gotta figure it out from the context. But it helps at least to go into it knowing, whenever you're reading prophetic passages, go into it knowing. They do this and they do it often. They're going to change lanes on you multiple times before the sermon is over. And so chapter 21 of Luke is the same way. Jesus is focused on the close at hand destruction of Jerusalem that was going to take place in AD 70 and already did. The Roman general Titus came and leveled it. He's focused on that close at hand destruction of Jerusalem that was going to take place in AD 70 that's just going to happen 40 years after he's talking to his disciples sitting here. And he's focused on the distant, ultimate end of the world when he comes back as king of kings and lord of lords to make... All things right. Oh. So here's what you got to do. When you're you're reading a chapter like Luke 21, here's how I'd say it to you. You've got to be wearing your spiritual bifocals. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't, you will as you get older. Trust me. This is in your future. Oh my goodness, as you get older, you're like, ah. Now, I don't want to go outside in them. But I've got a pair of bifocals that I use to read my Bible in the morning, and there is a sharp line right across the middle of the lens. I would never go outside with these, ghastly. But when I'm inside, I don't care what I look like, I want to see. And the bottom half is for boom, baby, right here, up close, words. The words are this big, I love it. But the top half is so that I can still see way out there in the distance because I need both. I need right here and I need out there. Jesus wants us to see both. And because this is such a long chapter, I've divided it into two big chunks. So I hope you'll come back next week. We're gonna take on one chunk today and the next chunk next Next Sunday. Today, we're going to talk about what Jesus says you should expect to be happening to you more and more and more until He comes. He doesn't want you to be surprised. Oh, He tells us what to expect to be happening more and more and more until He comes. And next week, we're going to talk about what He says, what He says. We should be doing more and more and more. You see, he wants us to know what to expect and what to do. If you keep expecting the wrong things, you will stay frustrated, discouraged, overwhelmed, and wondering what in the world is going on. He doesn't want you to be surprised. He doesn't want you to be surprised. And oh, listen to me. If you keep doing the wrong things, you are going to be so ashamed when you stand before him on that final day. He doesn't want you to be surprised now or ashamed then. What a helpful sermon. Oh, he's gonna tell us what to expect, what to do so that I'm not surprised. We've got Christians that are like startled horses every other day. They're surprised by what's happening because they're listening to the wrong people. He tells us what to expect. And then we've got Christians running around like chickens with their heads cut off doing the wrong things. What should I expect? What should I do? Are you ready? Here we go. Go to Luke 21. Go to Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 5. Luke chapter 21, verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple... Now here's what I want you to know from context. It's still Wednesday. Oh no, it's like the longest day of the universe. He's now exiting the temple where he had a showdown with three different groups. He's leaving the temple, he's done talking to the crowds, and he's stepping outside and gonna have a conversation with disciples only. And they are looking at this glorious building. It was spectacular. And so that's what's going on. They're stepping outside to sit down and talk. And they're talking about the building. And he shocks them by changing directions in the conversation. He says, oh yeah? You think this is spectacular? Let me tell you what's about to happen. While some were speaking of the temple. How it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. He said, as for these things that you see. The days will come. When there will not be left here one stone upon another. That will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name. Saying, I am he. The time's at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things... What's the word? Must Must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes and in various parts, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you, And persecute you. Delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds. Not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom. Which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now he's going to zero in on the close at hand upcoming destruction of Jerusalem starting in verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. In that day typically the safest place was get out of the country and into the city. He's telling them in advance don't do that. The people who fled Jerusalem early saw it coming. You can read history. They were spared. Those that remained were slaughtered. For these days of vengeance to fulfill all. These are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days... For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Today, all we want to do is what should we expect? Next next Sunday, we'll do what should I do? So what should we expect To see happening, not just happening, you guys, but happening to us more and more and more until he comes. Well, I can summarize for you like this. He highlights three areas. He says, expect deception, disaster, and persecution more and more and more. Deception, disaster, persecution more and more and more. Let's jump into the first. And by the way, like, as you hear that... It's not what we would wish, is it? It doesn't match Joel Osteen's books, does it? It's not going to line up with cable television, Christian, this afternoon. Please stop all that. And be informed by our Savior. So that you're not so startled and discouraged. Deception. Disaster. Persecution. Number one. He says, don't be fooled by false teachers. He says, deception is going to abound more and more and more. It's one of the signs of the end times. Now, I'm not going to stay here long because Pastor Peter did a great message last Sunday about false teachers. But I do want you to look at verse 8 again. Look at it. And he said, see that you are not led astray for, what's the word? Many. Many. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Here's what else you need to understand that I think is part of the human problem with giving in to deception. You know what our problem is? We don't like to wait. And everything we think is supposed to happen, we think is supposed to happen quick. And so we're willing to take whatever looks like that might be it and jump into it. Something really helpful he tells us right here also that can keep you from that. Look at verse 8. He said, see that you're not led astray, for many will come in my name. Do not go after them. And then at the end of verse 9, important clarification. But the end will not be at once. These things are just early birth pangs. In other words, even as you see increase, so don't be guilty of, there's another earthquake, there's a tsunami, there's a famine, there's a, he's coming tomorrow. These are early. We've had five kids. Here, Have you noticed each time I preach lately, I've been giving you the synoptic passages? Because as I study, I've been reading every gospel that talks about this sermon. So, I love it when we got more than one person telling us because they'll give a few more details. Mark and Matthew also give us this account. Mark 13, Matthew 24. Both Mark and Matthew, do you know what they also add that he said that Luke didn't include? These are early birth pangs. I don't know what you've experienced if you've had any kids, but they can can stay in the womb way longer than you thought. And you're like, it's happening now. Now. And then we get to the hospital and we go home. No, it's happening now. And we get to the hospital and we walk the hallways. It's like, oh, jot it down. Mark 13, 8. These are but the beginning of birth pangs. So yes, the world is groaning and these things are the beginning of birth pangs, but it's just the beginning. He made it clear there's going to be a long, long delay. In fact... Here we are, 2,000 years later, right? Birth pangs, birth pangs. But notice what else we can learn from verse eight. For many will come in my name. Not a few, not a few. Now, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about how there's not a list of people? There's no list of people who keep claiming to be the resurrected Buddha, the resu- I'm Muhammad, I'm Buddha, I'm Joseph Smith, or any other world religious leader. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Satan, you realize, is the deceiver behind every false religion, and there's no need to counterfeit a counterfeit. They're already doing enough damage. Go. He doesn't waste his time. He counterfeits Christianity. He counterfeits Jesus Christ. He counterfeits Christianity. He counterfeits Jesus Christ. Why? Because Christianity and Jesus Christ will rock your world change your life and change your eternal destiny from hell to heaven so he would love to cause massive confusion over that so that you can't see the real jesus you don't hear the real message you can't see the real jesus you don't hear the real message he'll let you hear the message of islam and hinduism and judaism and every other thing from looking at a crystal to staring at a rock to whatever he's like go for it it's Christianity counterfeits. Christianity, because it's the real deal. The historian, I love also reaching outside of the Bible, which you can't do with the Book of Mormon. They talk about people they've never found, coins they've never found, cities they've never seen. When the Bible talks, you can go to secular history and say, look at that. The secular historian, Josephus, he said during the time of Felix, you know that name? Felix was someone that the Apostle Paul actually interacted with in the book of Acts. Josephus says that during the reign of Felix, oh my goodness, there were so many people already claiming to be Jesus Christ who'd come back to earth that they, quote, they were apprehended and killed every day. Oh my word. You know, so Felix's administration, what do you want us to do today? Go kill some more people that say they're Jesus. We found some more. What do you want us to do? Kill them. Kill them all. Every day they were apprehended and killed. People who were saying, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus. Exhausting. And that's why Paul said, there will be deception in 2 Timothy 3. And here's what also, it's not just people claiming to be Jesus. It's people promoting a twisted version of Christianity and the gospel. And so Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, people having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. While evil people and what? Say it. Imposters Imposters will go on From bad to worse. And notice what's up with with imposters. Deceiving and being deceived. They're they're, they're getting tangled up in their own deception. They're deceiving others and they're being deceived. They're deceiving. Imposters and evil people will go on from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Expect deception. What else? Does he say we should expect? Number two. Oh, he says, don't be terrified by calamities. Look at verse nine. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. Now, I don't think I need to help you with wars. Oh, my word. Right? As soon as one settles down, another one erupts. It's Ukraine. It's Russia. It's Israel. It's Hamas. It's Hezbollah. It's, you know, we... Even in my lifetime, it's like, oh my goodness, the Serbs and and Slavs and and the Olympics had just been there. And then they just slaughter each other. It's like we live in a world filled with wars. But what's he talking about with this word tumults? Oh my goodness, I actually think we see more. If you can imagine it, because there's a ton of war, I think we see more tumults. And here's why. Here's why I'm saying it. The word tumult right there in the Greek is the word akatastasia. Doesn't that sound angry and tossed about? Akatastasia. You know what that word means? Oh, the word means a time of instability that's filled with commotion, confusion, disorder, and opposition to any established authority. It's like you're watching the news, right? It's like you're, like you're looking at the news today. And I don't know about you. Sure, on a human level, it troubles me when I see what he's saying is going to happen. Do you know what comforts me? He said it was going to happen. You're like, that's stupid, Brad. It's really not. I am greatly encouraged, even if it's hard things to know, this is not random. My sovereign savior called it, saw it, said it, and so I know he's in it with me. This is not random. This is no accident. This is not the world going off the rails. This is not not a part of his plan. He's with us in it. He called it. So yes, it troubles me when I see people just mobs breaking into stores. And I see all the anger. And I see all this going on in our world. And then I'm comforted when I say, oh my goodness, As I read my Bible, I don't say, I wish we had something more relevant for the times. This book is so antiquated and dated and dust. Oh my goodness, this book is relevant. This book helps me. This book frames up. This book explains. And this book gives me hope that I'm a part of what God is doing. And I'm his man for such a time as this. And he's with me. He's in control. He's with me. Disorder, commotion, confusion, confusion opposition to any established authority. And so I know, I know it's scary to be raising kids and grandkids in this kind of tumultuous world. But I'll tell you what's comforting is that he said it was going to happen. In fact, he said it has to happen. So stay with me. It has to happen. And as it does, and would you say it's happening? Yeah, yeah. It's only moving us closer to something I am excited about that's coming next. His return, his reign, his rule and his perfect kingdom where he forevermore vanquishes sin and sickness and Satan and hell. The deceiver, the destruction, the author of confusion and the accuser of the brethren will be cast down and Jesus will be exalted as king. And it's closer, it's closer, it's closer, it's coming. That's what we have in God's word. Not a promise that scary stuff would never happen. A promise that he's in control of even scary stuff and is with us in it. With us in it. With us in it. But look at number three. He says, don't be surprised by persecution. Don't be fooled by deception. Don't be terrified by calamities, disorder, unrest. And don't be surprised by persecution. Look at verse 12. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. Okay, not a fun verse. You don't see that on t-shirts or coffee mugs in the Christian bookstore. But you know what? He doesn't just throw a scary verse out there without surrounding it with some really encouraging stuff. You realize, again, it's not random. Verse 12 is unsettling. Verse 13 tells you why he would allow it and that it's not random. Look at verse 13. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. You see it in the book of Acts, you guys. This is Jesus talking on Wednesday. He's gonna be crucified on Friday. He's gonna rise again on Sunday. And I mean, the book of Acts begins to demonstrate exactly what he said. Were they drugged before authorities? Paul himself, though his life was, oh, hard, stood before Felix, stood before Festus, stood before Herod, and went all the way to Rome as he appealed to Caesar. One faithful, persecuted Christian We see in the, the letters of the gospel, he was chained to two Roman soldiers. That's how they did it back then, once he landed in Rome. We see that for a while he was under house arrest and people could come and go and he was preaching and teaching in Rome. He was witnessing two Roman soldiers on each side. They're chained to him. You know, you think it's exciting when I've got somebody for an hour and a half on the plane. He's got two Roman soldiers chained to him. You know he was testifying. You know they had to wonder How can you still have this kind of joy? Remember when he was thrown into the the jail in Philippi? He had been beaten, beaten viciously and then thrown in there. What were him and Barnabas doing? Cursing God, saying, what kind of good God would let his kids go through this? What were they doing? Singing hymns and there was an earthquake and all the doors were thrown open and the jailer was going to kill himself. And Paul, instead of running, said, don't do that. We're all here. Because he understood in that day, if you lose a prisoner, your life takes the place of their life. You die. And that jailer was shocked and brought him into his house. Paul testified to him. It says he and all his household were saved. You will have opportunity to bear witness. Now, it gets even better if you're sitting there thinking, well, Brad, that's you on a plane, that's you in prison, that's you before Biden, or whoever. (laughs) Probably never gonna happen. (laughs) I don't know what to say. I didn't go to seminary. Do I need to worry about this? Do I work on it now? Do I need to study and do research to know what I should say? Oh, here's some good news. Verse 14, 15. Oh, look at verse 14, 15. Settle it. Therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand. How to answer. If you've ever thought, I don't know what I would say. What if i am ever said, deny Jesus Christ or, or defend Jesus Christ, defend the gospel, defend the resurrection, defend, how do we know the Bible's the word of God? Oh, settle it. I'm going to give you a mouth and wisdom with which they will not be able to contradict Sleep good, you guys. You will find yourself, you'll, you'll have an outer body experience. You're like, I can't believe that just came out of me. Wow, that was amazing. I'm amazed by myself. He said, I'm gonna, now, here's what I've seen done wrong with this. There are people who jerk this out of context and this is their reason as a pastor to play golf and not study and say, oh, he just give me the words. This is not a promise for pastors who are lazy to have a great sermon on Sunday. This is when you are are persecuted and pulled before authorities and asked to give an answer in that setting, he will give you a mouth and wisdom by which people can't even contradict. Sleep good. Sleep good. Yeah, it's coming, but you'll have a chance to witness, bear witness, and he'll give you what to say. He'll give you a mouth like you haven't had. Finally, number four. So don't be fooled by deception. Don't be terrified by disasters. Don't be surprised by persecution. But oh, this is a hard one. But the Bible helps us. Repeatedly it helps us. Do not be confused about what real safety looks like. You know, sometimes we're like, well, will will I be okay? Will I get hurt? Will this end poorly? Uh, 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 Is he going to keep me safe? Don't be confused about what real safety looks like. Look at the end of verse 16 again. And some of you, they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. Now, if you're like me, you might be thinking the end of 16 and 18 are kind of hard to reconcile. They're going to put you to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. So which is it? Are they going to kill us or is God going to take good care of us? You ready? Yes. (laughs) The answer to both is yes. They're going to kill some of us and God is going to take good care of us. Because here's what's going on. Verse 16 is focused on physical death. Verse 18 is focused on spiritual life. Life. That's why other places it says, don't fear man who can kill the body, and that's it. Fear God who after having killed the body can cast your soul into hell. Oh, what you really want is spiritual life, spiritual In fact, they do me a favor, kill me, and hasten my entrance into the presence of Jesus Christ, and out of this groaning, broken, chaotic world. They can't end your life. They can kill you physically, but no one can pluck your soul out of the hand of almighty God who keeps you for eternity. That's why Jesus said in John 10, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Doesn't mean you might not be killed in this world. They shall never perish and no one shall snatch them. Out of my hand. Some of you know the story of Elizabeth Elliot. And you're probably thinking. Are you going to talk about her every week? Pretty much. Because I just read two biographies on her. I always loved her. But I love her even more. And Some of you know the story. But her husband Jim. Along with four other missionary guys. Were speared to death. Speared to death. As they tried to reach an unreached people group. In the jungles of Ecuador. And you can imagine. Right? We get out of sorts over unemployment, cancer, a wayward child. And you just think, where's God? How is this good? What's he doing? Put yourself in Elizabeth's place. And those young women, they were all now young widows with little toddlers. Who had risked it all and faced the inconvenience of the jungle jungle to obey him. Right? We tend to think... Protect them. They're doing your calling. They're going to share the gospel. They're doing what you told us to do. Surely you would protect them and let nothing bad happen. So they faced all the questions that we do. Weren't we serving God? Weren't we obeying him? Why wouldn't he protect us? So she had the same questions that we do. Well, here's what I love about her. She had the same questions, but she looked for answers By reading God's word instead of drilling down into her own feelings. God, that's what we have to do, you guys. Instead of drilling... And and so she went to the Bible to draw right conclusions about God and what he might be doing. And as she wrestled her way through scripture... She wrote a book titled Through Gates of Splendor, where she concludes this, and I quote, God is God. If he's God, he is worthy of my worship and my service. I will find rest nowhere but in his will. And that will, now listen to this. Here's what we got to get a hold of. That will is infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notion of what he is up to. God is the God of human history and he is at work continuously, mysteriously, accomplishing his eternal purposes in us, through us, for us, and in spite of us. For us widows, the question as to why, can you imagine she lived on till like, I don't know, 89, had a speaking ministry. Can you imagine how many times she must have been asked by people? Why, Elizabeth? Why do you think God did that? Why? Let me help you. She never had an answer. That's how she lived the rest of her life. So many of you keep saying, but why? But why? Until I know why, I can't go on. You're going to struggle. She didn't get why. She got who? She got who? She said, the question as to why the men who had trusted God should be allowed to be speared to death was not one that could be smoothly or finally answered in 1956. That's when it happened. Nor silenced in 1996. That's when she was writing this. God did not answer Job's question either. Job was living in a mystery. The mystery of the sovereign purposes of God. In 1976, I don't know if you've heard of a conference called Urbana. They would do it like every so often. Huge. She was the first female plenary speaker at that conference in 1976. The theme of the conference was declare his glory among the nations. And she'd been asked to bring a message titled the will of God. 17,000 Christians are attending this, mostly college students. And she talked in her message about... That night in the jungle. And she talked about five missionaries and their wives and little kids gathered around the kitchen table in their jungle hut. Singing together the hymn. We rest on thee our shield and defender. That's what they sang together the night before the men had decided to go. And then the next morning those five missionaries went out. And were speared to death immediately. And when she said that, the crowd grew awkwardly and painfully quiet, just like it is here today. And she went on to say, quote, they were speared to death in the midst of obeying God. So what does that do to your faith? Does it demolish it? A faith that disintegrates is a faith that was not resting in God himself. You were believing in something else less than ultimate. You were believing, here's what we do, in your own neat little program of how things are supposed to work. See, we have, we have an aberrant theology that's on TV and in best-selling books and it, and it rumbles in our own heart. If you have real faith, you do not face hard things. That's how you avoid hard things. Faith is what gets you the victory, the blessing, the protection. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's the same thing that you see in Hebrews. Some of you might know, oh, Hebrews 11 is that great hall of faith. All the men and women that by faith did great things for God. But sometimes people don't keep reading far enough. They stop too soon. I, for the sake of time, we won't turn there. Wait a minute. I think we might have time. Go. Hebrews 11. <laughs> Hebrews 11. I'd not planned to do this. I hope this doesn't go poorly. Hebrews 11, because, oh, it's nothing like seeing it. It's towards the back of your Bible. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 33. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. We're like, sign me up. I would love to be a part of that. Use me like that. I'll stop the mouth of lions. I'll quench the power of fire. I'll escape the sword. I'll be mighty in battle. Oh. Well, wow, women received back their dead by resurrection. Huh? Some. And notice it doesn't say some who didn't have enough faith. You guys, all these people are in the faith chapter and had faith. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. And then lest you make the mistake of thinking, yeah, those are the ones that didn't have enough faith. Nope. Verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. Everyone in this chapter... Had faith. So here's what I want you to understand. God is going to use some of us to display his power. He might use you to do something amazing. And God is going to use some of us to display his worth. And show that he's worth dying for. There's two ways to exercise faith that have enough faith to believe he's still good and up to something all the way to the end. He's worth dying for. And he chooses which way he wants to use us. He's God. He's good. And we trust him. And he'll be with us in that moment. He'll be with us in that moment. As a close, I want to shift from some of all this fearful, what could people do to us? Yikes. Oh, listen to me. It's not what people can do to you that you should be most concerned about. It's the wrath of God against your sin that you should be most concerned about. And the only safety, the only safety that will keep you from the wrath of God is the security of putting your trust in your Savior, Jesus. So what about you today? You can have him as your Savior today. You can leave here. You can leave here knowing that you will never face or taste the wrath of God against your sin because Jesus faced it and tasted it for you and drank it dry on the cross as a substitute in your place. You don't, you may face persecution from humans, but you could begin living today knowing I will never, ever face the wrath of almighty God for my sin. Because Jesus Stepped in my place. And you, you have that by faith. Not keeping the Ten Commandments. Not trying to be good. By faith in Jesus. Forgiven. Clean. Adopted. Filled with the Spirit. Loved. Gifts that can be used for his glory. But if you reject this free offer of the gospel. To be saved and forgiven. Forgiven. That same whosoever will, Savior. Today he's a Savior that says whosoever will may come. No exceptions, no exclusions. Oh, this is unbelievable. There's nothing like this in our world. Every offer that comes in my mailbox has some fine print that I've learned to read. What are the exceptions? What are the exclusions? What are they? Whosoever will may come. But you guys, that same whosoever will may Savior invites you to come today is the same one who will be your judge when he returns if you reject this free offer let me show you the two final endings there's only two groups of people final endings and you see them bumped right up against each other in revelation 19 go to revelation 19 revelation chapter 19 if you're in hebrews just keep going right Revelation 19, you guys, here's the two categories. You're either going to be part of that group that experiences a massive celebration and homecoming, or you will be part of a group that experiences a horrific devastation and the wrath of God. What's in your future, celebration or devastation? And it all depends on what you do with Jesus in this life. Begin reading as I, begin, begin following along as I read in verse six. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. You don't make yourself ready by doing enough of the right stuff. You are only made ready and given a wedding garment when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. By faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, plus what? Nothing. And he gives you a wedding garment. And that's where you're headed. Marriage supper of the Lamb. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Now skip to verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, oh, He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Who is this? Jesus. Jesus. Oh, child of God, remember who you are and where you're headed. You're engaged. Someone loves you. Someone's preparing a place for you. And he's with you right now in it. Oh, let's understand what to expect. And let's be doing what he's called us to do. And unbeliever, please, please, please come to faith in Christ. Do not delay. You don't know how long you have to live. You have no guarantee. And today you have this free offer. If you reject this free offer, you will face him as a judge instead of a savior. I want you to bow your heads as we close. I don't want to give you an opportunity right now. You don't have to come out of your seat, you don't have to sign a card. You don't need to give a dime to this church. You don't have to shake my hand. You don't have to get baptized. Right now, where you sit, you could say, Oh, God, I'm a sinner in need of a savior, and I could never save myself. I receive this free gift of forgiveness and salvation that's being offered by your son come into my life come into my life i pray in jesus name oh god thank you thank you for your word that clarifies for us so that we wouldn't be surprised and we wouldn't be ashamed on that final day god thank you thank you thank you for how clarifying your word is Lord, I pray that you would cause us to live for what matters most in these days of commotion, confusion, disorder, and opposition to all established authority. May we be joyful, peaceful, hopeful, radically different, peculiar people that would be asked, what is the reason for the hope that you have? Use us. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.